Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. For journalism, it may be the best of times and the worst of times. The national media seems more vibrant than ever. The New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, as well as the cable news networks are thriving. For these outlets, the transition to digital has been painful, but somewhat successful. For local news, the story of what's happening in your neighborhood, your school board, your city council is very different. Thousands of local newspapers and local radio have shut down. The economics of the enterprise have proven to be unsustainable. And even large regional papers in places like Los Angeles, Chicago, and Miami have proven to be problematic at best. At worst, stripped away by hedge funds. All of this begs the question of whether our political, cultural, and our social divisions stem from the top, as is often assumed or whether the hollowing out of our news and our communities, places that should seemingly bring us together, is at the heart of what's wrong. It was the great New York Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia who said that there's no Republican or Democratic way to clean the streets. His comments remind us that locally, there's only a common community interest. Take that away, and what's left is all the bad stuff. We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Margaret Sullivan. She is the media columnist for The Washington Post, the former public editor of The New York Times, and the former editor of The Buffalo News, where she started her career. She was twice elected a director of the National Society of News Editors and is a former member of the Pulitzer Prize Board. It is my pleasure to welcome Margaret Sullivan here to talk about Ghosting the News, Local Journalism and the Crisis of American Democracy. Margaret, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Well, it's a delight to have you here. I want to talk first about this nexus between local news and national news. People seem to be consuming lots of national news, certainly these days. But local news, it's a whole different story, as you write about in Ghosting the News. Talk about that nexus first. So a lot of people feel like uh, they can't even get their head around the idea that there might be a problem in local or regional news because there's this incredible fire hose coming at us of national and, and in fact, global news from all the sources that you just mentioned and more. Um, and on social media, it's like, I don't need any more news. But uh, the problem is that it, on the local and regional level, the business model has really failed, and so there is far, far less of it than there used to be, even though the need is great. I mean, the need right now in the middle of this pandemic is very great for, uh, for local news, and people are seeking it out, but the sources of it are so much weakened that it has presented a real crisis. I was talking to a columnist at a, at a local paper uh, here in the Bay Area recently who talked about the fact that particularly during the lockdown phase of the pandemic back in, in April and May, that he could tell you everything that was going on in Washington and around the world, but he had no idea what was going on six blocks away. That's, you know, and that's really dispiriting. Um, I do think that, you know, there are still lots of newspapers and radio stations and television stations that are, you know, doing their best to get local local news out to people. But as you say, there have been more than 2,000 newspapers, both daily and local, uh, daily and weekly, that have folded in the past 15 years. And since just this year, it's actually the decline has worsened. So, and, you know, meanwhile, about half of all journalists have lost their jobs. So there's just on the supply side of this, there's far, far less 
than there used to be. And, you know, it's interesting because people mistrust uh, news organizations, as you know. You know, we don't like the media. But they do have more trust in local media. So there's a lot of weird paradoxes here, and, and that's one of them. And we see that paradox play out in politics. I mean, it's the old story that people hate Washington, people hate Congress, but, oh, we really love our congressmen. It's the same thing playing out. It is. And, and the, the thing is, though, that people don't really fully understand or may not understand at all that local news is in crisis. And so that's actually why I wrote my book, which is called Ghosting the News, which sort of suggests the idea of abandonment, um, because I want to sound the alarm before it's really too late, because it really depends on, on people to support their local news organizations, even if they feel, well, my newspaper's so much thinner than it used to be, and it's not what it was. It's still probably the best source of um, watchdog journalism and community journalism in your area. One of the other things that we've seen happen, people always say it takes like 21 days or whatever the number is to change habits. And so many people have gotten out of the habit, both older people and younger people who really maybe never had the habit of the daily ritual of reading local news. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we're, our habits are very different now, and we really absorb information on our phones for the most part. So um, that idea of, you know, turning the page and, you know, discovering things while it was a lovely ritual and still could be has faded away. But, you know, from my point of view, this is not about saving printed newspapers. You know, it may well be that that, that is on its way out. But what we can hope to save is local journalism in whatever form, and it will undoubtedly be a digital form. So it could be a nonprofit news organization in your area. It could be the newspaper on the web or in its mobile app, or it could be the paper itself. Talk a little bit about whether or not a lot of these local papers brought on their own problems because they were so slow to embrace digital. I think that was part of it. You know, newspapers were very complacent for a long time. They were sort of almost able to print money um, when they were the only game in town for print advertising. And in many cases, they had sky-high profit margins, over 30%, over 35%. And so when, when the economy changed and the Internet came along and kicked the legs out from under their lifeblood, which was print advertising – you know, there was a lot of nostalgia. Maybe it'll come back. You know, we've got a, maybe digital advertising will completely fill the gap. And so there wasn't an effort to say, okay, we've got this new reality. How can we best adjust to it? But I will say, Jeff, that even if um, newspapers had been extremely innovative and nimble, the headwinds are very strong. Um, there's no getting away from the fact that the thing that the underpinning has gone away, and that is that print advertising. To what extent has it accrued to the benefit of national news, to the New York Times, the Washington Post, etc.? To what extent have they benefited from the disappearance of the competition of local news? Well, for most people, um, you know, they may, m many people are willing to pay uh, for a news subscription, you know, maybe a single news subscription. So, so then they have to make a choice. Um, and what, what are they going to do? Are they going to subscribe to, for example, the New York Times, 
or to the San Francisco Chronicle. And they may well make the decision to go with the New York Times because the content is very lavish and it's, it's you know, people are very interested in national politics and um, the whole, you know, sort of daily drama of Trump and all that comes with that. Um, but if they've made that decision to go with something national, they may well have said, and, you know, I'm not going to do both. Uh, even though, in most cases, it actually wouldn't be terribly expensive and probably, you know, would only be a couple of Starbucks coffees um, to, to, to kind of decide to support the local news organization as well. But to, you know, to your point, yes, I think, I think that as people have migrated to, you know, a single or a couple of paid news sources, that they make choices and they don't often they often don't make the choice to go with local and when you see something like the new york times cover california as much as it does and have as many readers and as much circulation both digitally and print in california more than it has in new york that's a pretty dramatic impact on journalism in california it is indeed but the thing that's missing is the ability to cover the ability the willingness or the just the the, the fact that the Times is not going to cover uh, municipal government. You know, it's going to cover the big stories in California, the big trends. They're going to cover technology and business and, and culture to some extent. But they're not going to get out to your city council meeting or your school board meeting or whatever it may be and cover the nitty-gritty of how your tax dollars are being spent. This is a, a granular, hyper-local role that newspapers are built to do and did for many years. So it's a real loss because when you don't have that, you know, that sort of presence, that watchdog, um, government officials are free to do whatever it is they would like to do that's most expedient for them. And sometimes it, it veers into or even becomes corruption. The other part of that, the corollary of that, is the degree to which local media served as a kind of farm team for those that would move up the ranks for young journalists. Talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think about my, uh, the editor of the Washington Post, well, certainly a very esteemed editor, Marty Barron, who, if you ever saw the movie Spotlight, was then the editor of the Boston Globe, you know, uh, taking on the Catholic Church. So Marty is now the editor of the Washington Post. Well, Marty got his start in the Stewart Bureau of the Miami, of the Miami Herald. So regional newspaper, and it had a bureau in this, I guess, small town or small city, and it was a substantial bureau, and that's where Marty got going. And then, you know, he worked his way up through the ranks, and he was at the L.A. Times, and he was at the uh, Boston Globe, and at the Miami Herald. He, you know, cut his teeth and got his experience and won a Pulitzer every place he went, pretty much, uh, but always within regional newspapers. He also did a stint at the New York Times, so that's not a regional newspaper. But this was sort of a normal way that you came up in journalism, and it was a way to really learn the ropes. And it is a it is a career path that I won't say it's gone, but it's severely diminished. What has been the impact of some of these alternative efforts, things like Nextdoor, and although it failed miserably, something like Patch, some of these efforts to find different ways to get local information out there? 
Well, you know, we're in a we're in a period of time. We're really, although it's been a while, you know, the internet isn't brand new by any means. But uh, you know, in the in a global sense, we're still grappling with what's happened to the sort of the media ecosystem. And some of these things are noble efforts that start up, and some sort of take, and some don't. Um, there are a number of nonprofit news organizations like Voice of San Diego, for example, uh, Min Post in Minneapolis, um, you know, the Texas Tribune in Austin, that have done a very good job of um, of building an all digital news organization that's nonprofit that's built on basically philanthropy and membership, and that does do this nitty gritty accountability journalism. So I think there's a lot there that is promising for the future. How dangerous is an over-reliance, or or maybe you you see it as positive, this over-reliance on philanthropic journalism, essentially, things like what the Texas Tribune did and and Cal Matters here in California and, and efforts like that? Well, you know, I think on balance they're positive, but as with any funding source, they have their they have their downfalls and things to be aware of. Sometimes philanthropists um, want to kind of get mixed up in the journalism to varying degrees. Sometimes you're reluctant to take on a powerful institution or person because that that person is one of your donors. So um, it it does present. It does present challenges that are that are pretty formidable. Yeah, I mean the Texas Tribune. I forget the guy. I'm sure you know the guy's name. Evan, that, that Evan start, Smith. Yeah. Talks about that that the paper has to devote, if not as many, perhaps more people to the philanthropic and development effort to raising money than it does to the journalism side. Right, and I think at a lot of these news organizations that I was just talking about, it's really interesting because it used to be, you know, the advertising side, the revenue side, and the editorial side were very sharply delineated. There was no crossover because you didn't want any influence. But these days, it's not unusual for the founder of a small news organization to be doing the development work as well. You know, they don't have the money to hire a a development person and put them on another floor of a building. It's all of a piece. And, you know, I think it can be handled with integrity, but it does present challenges. What are we seeing in places where there is essentially no local news, the news deserts, as you call them? How is that impacting local government and and local situations versus places where there are these kind of thriving, albeit budding, local journalistic efforts? What are we seeing in terms of how it impacts the community? Do we have specific data or information to show how it's different? Yes, there's data on it, and what it shows is that, you know, the basic basic citizen engagement, civic engagement declines. People vote less. People are less politically active. Uh, they, they become more polarized. When they do go to vote, they vote party line. They don't cross the aisle as much because we become more tribal, and we're very tribal and very partisan as it is, so that's a terrible development. Uh, the other thing we see is that uh, borrowing costs for, for municipalities go up when there is no watchdog because the, what's built into that is the possibility of um, of corruption and of overspending without anyone calling them on it. So it really has a measurable and very damaging downside. Has social media 
picked up any of this role? Has it been a positive force in any way in terms of local reporting and local coverage, the kind of accountability you're talking about? At some level, it does. I mean, we we have seen just in recent weeks and months how important it is to have uh, regular citizens taking videos of situations that develop. I mean, the George Floyd video in which a Minneapolis police officer knelt on his neck and he died in, in at the hands of Minneapolis police was taken by a 17-year-old girl who was walking by on her way to get a snack. Um, we see this kind of thing all the time, and it's positive. It's good. No question about it. Um, what what I think social media and you know citizen journalism, what your iPhone in your pocket can't do or just doesn't do, is the kind of detailed digging. It's not just recording. Yes, we can record what's out in front of our eyes, but it's probably not going to result in filing a Freedom of Information Act, uh, developing sources, getting a tip from somebody, and, and reporting it out until it becomes a great investigative piece. I don't think that's within the capabilities of most citizen journalists. It's a, it's just, it has to do with training, experience. It has to do with having a lawyer you can talk to who's experienced at media law, all of these things. So it can help to fill the gap a little bit, but I don't think it takes the place. Is there a role, a larger role for citizen journalism, not just in terms of of cell phone videos, but even in terms of of retired people? And we have more and more of those all the time, we're told, going to city council meetings, going to school board meetings, and in some way reporting back through some mechanism. Well, that's a great question. And, you know, in, in the course of reporting my book, um, ghosting the news, I, I had occasion to report on an outfit called East Lansing Information, which was founded by a non-journalist who has, who has trained uh, retirees, housewives, as she puts it, into a journalism brigade, she calls it, which does exactly what you're talking about. They go out and cover meetings, they uncover news, and they, she edits it, and they put it on a website, and they've made a huge difference in a community that really didn't have much news coverage. The the local newspaper, uh, the Lansing uh, paper, doesn't cover East Lansing very thoroughly, except for the university. So um, there are models out there, but they're just sort of starting to come up, and they take a particular kind of leadership that is not always easy to come by. When we look at what local news there is out there, and there are a couple of companies that have lots of newspapers, to what extent has the consolidation of what local news there is had an impact? What we're seeing now, Jeff, is is hedge funds buying up chains of newspapers. We, we saw it happen just this week with the McClatchy chain, which is a, a, you know owns the Sacramento Bee, uh, owns the Miami Herald, the Charlotte Observer, some really terrific and reputable newspapers. The McClatchy chain is being bought, out of auction, by the way, <laughs> um, by essentially a hedge fund uh, called, called Chatham. And... Um, you know, these companies, for the most part, these hedge funds that are buying up chains of newspapers, are not really interested in journalism. They're not interested in the sustainability of the newspapers. They are interested in strip mining these companies for immediate profit next quarter. 
you know, at the end of this year. And that may involve selling off real estate. It may involve cutting the newsroom down to almost nothing to increase profitability. And it's a very, it's a very unhealthy development. However, even family ownership, which we somehow have this glowing idea of, you know, nostalgic idea that it's wonderful, isn't always, isn't always successful. One newspaper that went out of business about a year ago was the Youngstown Vindicator in Ohio. That was owned for 132 years by a family, a very well-intentioned family, but they just couldn't make the economics work. So having, a family, having family ownership is not necessarily uh, the answer, but having hedge fund owners is pretty bad and almost certainly a negative. And what about companies like Lee that, that bought your old newspaper in Buffalo? So I think they inhabit kind of a, a, a middle ground. They, um, you know, they know how to run newspapers, and they are said to be Warren Buffett refers who sold his his newspapers to them refers to them as as good operators. Uh, they know what they're doing, and you know, I guess I'm watching the situation closely in Buffalo, where it's only been a number a number of months since Lee has taken over ownership. Um, so far, the the uh, results haven't been haven't been too bad, although the reporters have had to go on furlough, and I think that really has to do as much as anything with the negative impact of the pandemic and the economic fallout from it. Does the national media and successful big national media companies, the New York Times, Post, etc., did they have an obligation to filter down? resources, be they economic resources, personnel resources, in in some way to encourage more development in the local area around the country? I mean, it's probably asking a lot of them as businesses to, to take that on. Um, from a sort of a journalistic perspective, you, you know, you'd like to think so. And I think that the leadership of those of those two places does feel this intensely. I mean, the, the, the editors of those papers came up through local journalism. Certainly the, the publishers uh, are well acquainted with the value of local journalism. I mean, they have to think about their own business models as well. So there may be sort of a moral obligation and maybe not a business imperative. And I, I don't know how that ultimately plays out. What do you see in terms of the future of minority ownership of local journalism? There's been a lot of discussion of that lately. Well, I think as much focus as we can have in that area is really important right now because we're going through such a national reckoning over racial justice. So if, uh, if there are upstart uh, news organizations that are, that are owned by you know, black entrepreneurs, that's fantastic. Um, I, I don't think the economics of it are much different in that case, but I think the journalism that's produced would be a fabulous addition, um, or in some cases, substitution for what we've traditionally had. And I think just as important is to have really strong diversity at the top of and throughout traditional news organizations like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and, and others, you know, to really get um, a much more diverse leadership and staff. I mean, there have been efforts, but I think those efforts are now being redoubled, and that's a good thing. I mean, I guess the danger in that direction is kind of niche journalism. 
Well, I don't know that that's true. I, I, you know, I think that our country is is a very diverse one, and we want to represent it uh, rather than have all the gatekeepers of information be, um, you know, be of one sort uh, demographically. So I think diversity is not just about some kind of numbers game or tokenism or or public relations. It's actually about doing better journalism because. We can ask different kinds of questions. We can be better internal critics and just do a better job overall. Other than, than individuals that have taken on these efforts, like Evan Smith, who you mentioned earlier, is there any force that is driving more development in local journalism? Is there anything out there that, that is either an incubator or someone that is pushing this forward? Yes, there are there are a number of places. One is there's an organization of the local uh, independent nonprofits. Uh, they call themselves Lions because it's an acronym, Local Independent. Uh, the Knight Foundation is doing a lot of work on this. Um, there's an outfit relatively new called American Journalism Project, which is trying to raise a whole lot of money to infuse it into local journalism. So there are there are philanthropists, you know, well-intentioned people working on this thing, and in you know coming in the other direction are these very strong headwinds that have just gotten a lot stronger in recent months. And at the end of the day, are you optimistic about the future of local journalism? I'm trying to be. I guess I would say. I guess I would say I'm. Uh, I'm not in despair about it. Uh, I have some hope. Optimistic might be putting it a little too strongly. Margaret Sullivan. Her new book is "Ghosting the News: Local Journalism and the Crisis of American Democracy." It's just out from Columbia Global Reports. Margaret, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much. It was a great, a great chat. Thank you.